we all have the dark places. We all have the mental kind of work that has to be done. But that's a lot of the, the difficulty with doing these long endurance type of races. It's the same with business. It's the same with life. We're all going to hit these dark types of places. And so we can we can come up with those strategies to, to kind of get us out. Hello and welcome to Run the Business, the podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out how running can help us with leading, managing people, and generally being better in business. We'll also try and answer that question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay, and today I'm joined by the founder of a company which, in its own words, looks to help individuals and organizations build resiliency, adapt to change, and thrive. He's the author of Adapting in Motion, Finding Your Place in the New Economy, and host of the Bellwether Hub podcast building a library of resources for teams and individuals to continually develop themselves. Jim Frawley, welcome to Run the Business. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. How are you today, Jim? Fantastic. How are you? Oh, that's that's great. I, I'm feeling good as well. The sun's out. It's dry. It's good running weather. Everything is good. So tell me about uh, where you are in the world and your running patch around you. All right. So I live just north of uh, New York City in a, in a town called Scarsdale. It's in Westchester County. And we have a fantastic running ground. Just maybe less than a quarter of a mile from my house is a nice 26-mile path along the river. Most of it's paved, some of it's dirt. And that's kind of where I do most of my running. But it, Westchester County, is there's a lot of greenery, a lot of trails, and a lot of place to to get those miles in. And when were you last out, Jim? Uh, just this weekend. We've been we've had the flu bug through the house, so just this weekend I did a quick five k and getting back into it this week. Good stuff. Uh, tell us to begin with a, a little bit about Bellwether Hub and what that's about and what you do there. Yeah, so Bellwether it's it's an executive coaching and business coaching firm. We do a lot of workshops. Ultimately, what we do is uh, as we think about executive development. The, the biggest challenge many businesses have, many individuals have, is how do you get people to prepare for change when they don't know what change is coming? And that's really the Bellwether program. When we think about all of the change, not just in the workplace, but when we think about lifestyle changes, artificial intelligence, the world is changing, communities are changing, on top of all the work change, the one constant through all these levels of change is the individual who has to respond to it. So we do these workshops. We do this individual one-on-one coaching. We help people redo, rework their businesses and people's strategies to come up with a way to really respond and prepare for the change when we don't know what's coming around that corner. And is that change accelerating? Is, is the pace quicker than it's ever been? It's a great question, and that's ultimately the challenge, is that it's getting too fast. The challenge isn't the fact that we have so much change. It's the fact that it's changing so quickly. And most of us can't keep up with this level of change. And we're seeing bifurcation in society. We're seeing bifurcation in the workplace. And there's a lot of fear about what's around the bend because we don't quite know what exactly is going to be there and how it's going to impact us. And so how do we do that work? to say no matter how quickly it changes, how do we make the right quick decisions to be able to at least keep pace? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's going to be more we'll, we'll talk about uh, around the work that you do uh, as this podcast goes on. But I also want to talk about your running and yep. how that came into your life. When, when did you start, Jim? When, when did it begin for you? Years ago, I was a very big drinker, very big smoker, uh, probably 250 pounds. I tried to run because everybody tries to get in shape, they start to run. Um, and it was a disaster. I, I kind of 
blow out maybe in about half a mile. And as I lost my weight and started working out and I had this desire to run, a few things happened. One, I was on vacation in France and went for a run because that's what I do on vacation is you try to be healthy only when you're on vacation. And I saw a woman running and she was running on the balls of her feet. And it just kind of clicked for me saying my grandfather had always taught me to run on the balls of feet. And I had realized that I didn't really know how to run, even though I was trying to run. And so she went one way, I went another way. And I turned around to go back to the hotel and I decided to try it and I flew and it became so much easier to run. And so that kind of set me down this path of, you know what, I want to run. Uh, I didn't realize that I didn't know how to run. And so once I learned how to run, then I learned how to actually love running. And that just kind of snowballed into into all the running I do today. And tell us a bit about what that is. It, what sort of distances, what sort of events? Because I know you've done Ironman stuff as well in the last few years as well, haven't you? I have, yeah. So um, I've never done just a true marathon. That's the next one on on the, the docket for me to, to tackle. But I did do a marathon as part of a full Ironman. It started with just doing little Tough Mudder type of mud run races. That evolved into something a little more challenging. So I did an Olympic length triathlon, which turned into half Ironman triathlons. And I usually do about three or four of those a year, half Ironman. And then I'll do maybe two or three half marathons for good measure and just throw in the 5Ks and the 10Ks when I can. So that's kind of my my annual routine. Something you uh, t- touched upon at the beginning of the year in your your blog was around the idea of identity and uh, resolutions really only working if, if they're part of who you are. How much is running and, and health and fitness part of your identity and, and how does it fit into your life? You know, I wish it was more, but when I think about the individual, and this is a lot of the work we do with corporate, with the, the executives, when we think about the individual we wish to be and that we want other people to see, we a picture usually comes into our mind of either someone who's done it or somebody who is it. And so when I think about, and this was on a run, thinking about what challenges, how did I want to challenge myself, you know, post COVID, what am I going to do this year? And if you want to lose weight, if you want to be fit, if you want to be whatever it is, you want to be a triathlete, you have to identify as such so that when you're faced with a difficult choice, it just becomes natural to choose the right one. And so it's it's certainly been a part of my life, at least for the last decade, where something challenging, something fitness related has been a part of it. And I find that when I don't have those set goals, those set races, it's a little harder for me to keep up. So that's my focus now is make it not just that I have to work towards the race, but this just because I'm constant, I want to be constantly in season and how am I constantly running? It just becomes part of my everyday routine. Regardless, I don't have to work towards something bigger. You know, why do we have to run a marathon? Why can't we just go for the the 10 K run? Because we just love to do it. And I always find that I'm at my best when that does become part of who I am, where I go for the 10 K run just because I really like to do it. How does that come through in the work that you do with, with Bell Weather Hub, the idea of the journey being as important as the destination and making sure that the journey is aligned with, with your values and, and who you are? Because it's crucial, isn't it, that, that we enjoy the things that we do and, and, and they resonate with us? Yeah, I, I use a lot of running metaphors in my speeches and, and in, my, in my workshops. And if you think about any, when we relate it to business and we relate it to adapting to change and we relate it to growing your business or, or finding how you want to get to the C-suite or whatever, there's an efficacy there to say you have to understand the individual steps on how to get there. If you ask someone, can you run a marathon? The answer should always be yes. 
right? Now, you may not be able to run it tomorrow, but you should understand that if you put together a training plan, you follow that plan, you'll be able to get to whatever it is you do. And when we think about the challenges of running, and runners know this, right? The worst part of running is going up a hill. But when we think about going up a hill, it's a metaphor for business. The way to get up a hill is to look at your feet because it's the one thing that you could control. When we're looking at big challenges, when we're looking at the big hill, when we're looking at those analogies, um, your mind is telling you that the, the hill is too big and it's too difficult to do. But when we focus on what we can control and those little one foot in front of the other, we don't worry about the people going faster or slower. We don't worry about those other things. You're going to know you've reached the top of that hill when you get there because the grade changes and it becomes easier. And then you can kind of focus on the next the next part of the race. This podcast is obviously all about how running might help us in business and leadership. That, that's, that's a great starting point. How does running help you be better in, in your work? You mentioned kind of your life before running. Can you sense, can you feel the differences in, in you as a person? Uh, completely. Uh, so there, I would say probably three things. One, I grew up in New York. I have very little patience, as my wife will tell me. <laughs> this helps me clear my mind. Right. And I found, you know, as I got married, we started having kids and I found that my patience went up significantly on days that I could run and when I could work out. So that was fantastic. It completely de-stresses uh, me as an individual. It helps me get focused. It helps me feel better about accomplishing more at work and, and I think more clearly and everything else. And it's also where I work out my challenges. When I have a big, significant challenge that I'm struggling with and I can't quite find the solution or do whatever it is, a 10 mile or, or a six mile, anywhere in that kind of range, it's usually six to 10 miles, I will have it completely worked out by the end of the run. And it's where I do my best thinking and mm -hmm. it's where I um, go through all of the different scenarios and you know, people pass me on the running trail, they think I'm crazy because I'm talking to myself, but that's where my best kind of thinking actually happens. And so all the business that I build usually comes out of something that I've I've thought about on a run. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any specific runs, specific examples where there was, you know, an idea that you just touched upon there, you know, a lesson or something that you transferred into work? Is, is there anything that you can kind of dig into a bit deeper? Yeah. So, you know, when you launch a business, I spent uh, almost 20 years in corporate, primarily in the financial industry. It was very stressful work. But when you become an entrepreneur and launch your business, and this was maybe almost 10 years ago, you, you're kind of on your own and you have to really figure out a way to interview yourself in certain types of, of scenarios to kind of get you through to whatever it is. And I remember a few years ago, I was struggling with my business and I went for a run and said, what's my big challenge? And usually when I go for a run, I ask myself a really good question at it. And that's what I think about when I run. And Or sometimes I'll see a bumper sticker and it'll send me off on a different tangent or whatever, just to kind of think. And what I had found at the end of my run as I was thinking through my challenges I found that I didn't have a voice and I didn't have an opinion. I had spent so much time in corporate repeating the corporate kind of mantra, repeating what I was supposed to do. And it was almost this eye-opening moment where I said, I need to have my voice. I need to articulate my voice. I need to have an opinion. Uh, and I need to basically unlearn everything that I had learned in corporate because that's not going to help me as I'm launching my own business. So I need to lose the assumptions. I need to lose the rules. And that just led to so many other runs in terms of, all right, what are the assumptions that I'm making and how many rules can I break and all of that type of work. So that was a really impactful run for me where I had that realization that I could just kind of shed all of those assumptions and, and baggage that I had picked up after 20 years in corporate 
and just say there are really no rules. And how did you change in that? What what sort of person did you evolve into? What you know? What, you mentioned having an opinion. What what opinions came came forth? How did how did you feel when when you moved in this this new direction? I, I felt amazing. I felt energized because you know if you sit in corporate, there's we always hear the line. You know we're a family and we're doing this and this is what's best for the company and you got to do this and that. Uh, but oftentimes we just kind of do it. We roll our eyes and we go back to work. But a lot of it, a lot of the things we say, we don't really think about why we say them. And as I was writing the book, a perfect example is when I was writing the book, uh, I wrote about some of the things that I had learned. And one chapter I wrote on humility, about the, the need to be humble. And I wrote all of this stuff and I read it and I said, this is a bunch of BS, right? Because a lot of us misinterpret what humility is. And when I think about working with my clients, they say, oh, I didn't want to take credit for that. I wanted to be humble or I didn't want to do this. I wanted to be humble. And they're doing themselves a disservice because of all of the things that they're not actually taking credit for. And if you don't take credit for the work that you do in a meaningful way, somebody else is going to take that credit for you. And as we sit and wait for someone to notice our good work and someone to notice the good work that we do and someone to kind of reward us, you're going to be waiting a very long time. And so those were some of the types of things where, you know what? Yes, humility is important, you're right? We don't wanna be arrogant, but when we say someone should be humble, we're basically saying, don't be arrogant. It's very different than deferring to other people and deferring to you know your manager or someone else. We should be very vocal in terms of what our hopes and dreams are, what we wanna accomplish, why can't we have big dreams? You know, All of these types of things, when we say, oh, well, I'm supposed to be humble, we diminish who we're actually supposed to be. And so that was just one big example of, you know what, why can't I do an Ironman? Why can't I tell people that I did an Ironman that I'm proud to do it? Why can't I launch a podcast and who cares if people don't like it? Someone might benefit from it. Why can't I write a book? Why can't I, you know, why can't it be me? And that's not an arrogant way to think. It's it's a confident way to think. And it's a, a way to go after, you know, when we think about purpose and challenge and and getting meaning from whatever it is we want to do, we have to create something so that we could be proud of it. And humility, the misinterpretation of humility can sometimes keep us away from that. There's something in that, isn't there, where you have to be the person you want to be before you can really truly give give to others. You've got to be comfortable in yourself and and what you're doing before you can then engage others productively. Does that ring true? Yeah, 100%. My favorite quote, and this is one of the best ones I read as I was kind of becoming an entrepreneur, I read... Um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's Confessions. And in it, he had this one line, how can anyone be satisfied in life if they're not satisfied with the one person they can never be separated from? And that was kind of eye-opening, right? We, we often live, we're, we're inclined to action, we're inclined to help other people, we're inclined to think externally. It's this ethical philosophy, help other people and you'll be a better person yourself. But I almost flip it on its head, say you can't help other people until you help yourself until you're bringing your actual best. It's almost like a healthy selfishness on being vocal on this is what I want. This is what I need. I can do it. And not in a, you know, detracting from other people way, but how do you make yourself the best possible person so that you can then be that example and, and be that help for other people? What's your perspective, Jim, on like the way the world is at the moment? We're experiencing some tough times around the world, you know, from a business perspective, you know, high inflation and, and People are, you know, losing jobs, companies cutting back. In the work that you do, how do you deal with that? How do you help people? You know, you touched upon change at the beginning. How do you help people get through and, and see opportunity in in the world as it is at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's um, when we 
look at macro change. I mean, my line really is macro change requires a focus on the micro individual. And so when we look at macro change, all of it is a distraction. We're so focused on the change that we forget to focus on the one person responding to change. The one thing, one constant through all types of change, inflation, crazy economy, people losing jobs, there's wars, AI is gonna make everyone irrelevant, your kids are tweeting new emojis, you don't know what that is. There's like all kinds of weird stuff, but you are the one person that constantly has to, to change that. And when we think about getting people prepared for this, I put it into three, I call it 3.5 categories, but there's three categories. You've got your physical, right? You gotta take care of it. So you almost gotta be prepared for whatever change hits you, you gotta be ready to move. So physical is your diet, your fitness, your sleep. Everybody knows that, everybody talks about it. Nobody really follows it, but that's, you know, that's a fact, right? The, the getting more sleep helps your cognitive ability, your diet and your gut bacteria helps your ability to come up with new ideas and be creative and all, and, and make really good decisions. So that's relevant. But then the other two outside of physical, we've got physical, you've got mental, and then you've got social. And the point five is financial. We won't get into that. But your mental health and wellness, you know, you've got your self-care. What do you actually need? Your self-love, going back to that Rousseau quote. And then what's your belief system? What do you actually believe? And this will send you down. This has sent me on so many runs. Everything from what's the best way to parent children to do you believe in God to who's the best football player of all time, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. But you don't really have a belief system in place until you understand all sides of what's actually going on. So when you're comfortable with your beliefs and you have sound beliefs in inside you, you're then able to be comfortable, more comfortable with the decisions. You lose a lot of your insecurity. You lose a lot of the risk that you would typically associate with, with making these types of decisions because you're comfortable with the decision process you've created because you're comfortable understanding what decisions you're actually making. So that's that. And then in addition with losing jobs and everything else, that starts today. You need a social system in place. Who's your support system? Who are the new people you're meeting? And who are you know, almost the micro interactions to remember that you're part of a bigger world. So when you put together this holistic kind of one, two, three, and then the three things below it, no matter what situation you're dealing with, you can always go into one of those sub bullets and kind of figure out a way to say, all right, this is what I'm going to focus on today. Here's my challenge today, right? Maybe I need to take care of myself. Maybe I didn't get the right type of sleep. Maybe I shouldn't have eaten that box of cookies. Maybe I haven't had good social interaction in a really good time. I need to call up a friend or I need to go out to, you know, say hi to the librarian, whatever it is. So when we have all of that, we could kind of say, these are the decisions I can make to help me adapt today in this moment. Then you're better set up for whatever change comes down the pike. That's fantastic stuff. And, and as you were going through that, I was thinking where running fits in that because it can play a part in all those areas that you, you just described, can't it? It 100%. So obviously it's the physical one. That's easy. But we know that running helps your cognitive ability. It brings oxygen to the brain. It helps you think more. And the science is out there. People feel better about themselves after they go for a run. There is a real thing as a runner's high. We have better body image and what we think about ourselves when we get in shape but it's also a very social activity too. It's, you know, when you know, know runners or triathletes, you find another runner or triathlete, you're automatically part of the club. And you're automatically talking about, oh, so tell me about your race. How was it? How'd you do? Any strategies and this and that. Um, so you always have a way to connect with other people as well. So it does, it hits the physical, it hits the mental, and it hits the social in a, in a really nice, basic way. Where do you get your energy from, Jim? Because just talking to you, uh, you know, in the last 20 minutes, I I'm sort of buzzing. I'm feeling the, you know, the power, the enthusiasm that you have. Where, where do you recharge? Where do you get your inspiration? 
Well, I guess I would say I get it from running. I get it from the kids and the wife. We have a good family home. I get it from reading. And then I get it just from thinking about what's possible, right? When we think about what's possible, this just gets me so excited. I mean, it's like the one thing, you know, we think about self-driving cars, what's possible? What would life be like? What would Manhattan be like with no traffic lights because everyone's driving a self-driving car? And, you know, that's so amazing to think about. And what could AI do to disrupt this industry? And how could it make your life better? Like everything that's what's possible to make you and your life and, and workplace and all this types of change is a really exciting topic. It's fearful. It's, it's, you know, it could be quite scary, but when we think about what's possible, that just jazzes me completely. It's, it's pretty awesome. How do people balance that sort of what's possible with, with worry, with concern for, for their future, for the future? Cause it's, it seems like that, that balance is, uh, even more prominent in our lives these days around, you know, where the world's going and, and where I fit in that future world. Yeah. It's, you know, when we think about, I mean, there, there are a lot of coaches who will tell you the past is the past. So don't worry about the past. It's only a lesson. Don't worry about the future. It's not here yet. You have to focus on the present and that's valid. I like to use an analogy of a roller coaster. If you take a look at anyone petrified of a roller coaster, all I say to them is say, look at all of those people coming off the roller coaster. They're fine. But when you know that you're about to get on a roller coaster, you get this anxiety. You're afraid of, you know, I don't know what this is going to do. And I'm petrified of it. And I'm very scared. You just look at the other end and you say, these people are going to be fine. And you're going to be fine. And it's, it's always good. So we're very good at thinking about risk and challenges and danger and, and all of those types of things. But I have a belief that fundamentally, deep down, people are good people. And no matter what disruption is going to come, it will always come. People come out at the other end in a better place when they're able to handle and focus and come together and, and focus on those three typical areas. So, yes, we're part of a roller coaster. Yes, you watch the news. It's you know damaging some people. I know people who haven't looked at the news in over 20 years. Their life is much better. It's designed to get you to click. Technology is designed to interrupt. We can make these rash decisions where we could say, I'm going to turn off the technology, I'm going to turn off the news, and we could just focus on our communities and our people. And, you know, each individual has got to figure out their particular bespoke system to say, you know what, recognize what's important to them in the moment. How do I have this good inner dialogue on what I actually need? And then just trust, you know, it's almost trust the system. You're going to be fine at, at the other end of it. Who inspires you, Jim, in, in leadership and in business? Are there, are there any people, you mentioned a couple of names already in the podcast, but are there any people, uh, books, reference points that people listening to this uh, could also tap into? Aside from yourself, obviously. Well, I'd love for them to tap into me, but I'm, I'm not half as good as the others out there. I learned a lot. There was one executive I learned a lot from. His name is Joe Mowgli. He was the chairman and CEO of TD Ameritrade. I worked closely with him for a number of years primarily through the financial crisis, and it was a financial firm. And I learned so much about effective leadership in difficult times. And there were so many other leaders in that organization that was incredibly helpful for us to learn about how do you manage change when when you know things get really, really difficult. I've built a network now of other individuals who get me energized. Uh, Marcino Malour is a you know, former mayor of Belfast. He's a great businessman as well. He's talks about what's possible in terms of rebuilding Belfast in Northern Ireland and, and doing that type of work. And it's, you know, what's possible. Again, it's all these people about what's possible. And it's a very exciting kind of philosophy of, you know, let me think about what's possible and then understanding the efficacy to get there. So I, I do my best to surround myself with those types of people who do that type of thinking. And I've got others, you know, I've got a little checklist up here of people who drive me. I keep a document 
It's called my positivity document, which sounds cheesy, but it's helpful, where I put in every compliment or good discussion I've had. And I go back and review it. I review it before I go into a network event to remind me something good. And it brings me back to the place that something, you know, to remind myself that I'm capable and, and all of those types of things. So there's, you know, even one person, the lady working the, the front desk at the Newark airport lounge who told me that I looked like I was walking my purpose right after I had quit my corporate job and started my business and I was flying to Switzerland for a client. She goes, you look like you're walking your purpose. And that just made my day. I was like, I made the right decision. So she's on there. So, you know, everybody's got these. We have these interactions with these people who are impressive to us. We should write them down because when we read them, we go back to that moment when it was impactful for us. And we could say, yes, I remember that. And I, and I remember how it made me feel. And we want to tap into those emotional kind of things to, to bring us back in, in difficult times. That's a great piece of advice. I've, I've got a, in my emails, I've got an, an email box where I keep uh, good, positive feedback emails. So I do similar sort of thing. You know, you get that email from a from a client, a colleague, a partner, you know, saying something really positive or you know, a particular experience was really good. I'll just save that in that. And it, it, whenever there's a, a point where maybe I'm feeling a bit flat or needing some inf- inspiration, open that email folder up and then just look at those emails and, and pick one out and, and just get the energy from that moment. It feels so good, doesn't it? It just like it completely jazzes you in the moment. Flipping back to running, is there a, an event, you know, a run, maybe one of the Ironmans that, that sticks in your mind that you could sort of describe to us in a, in a bit more detail and, and how you, you felt in that experience? Something you're going to carry through with you through the rest of your life? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I did a podcast on, and this was during the pandemic. A lot of people were in a very dark place. Um, and so I did a podcast on what the Ironman taught me about being in a dark place. Uh, So I did an Ironman of Florida and I took my time. I went very slow just because I wanted to make sure I could finish. It was my first Ironman. My wife, right before I left, she goes, I don't think you're going to finish this. I said, oh, thank you for the support. Um, (laughs) but uh, But I did finish it. It was a beautiful day. But as I was training for the Ironman, I had met someone with an Ironman bag at at the pool and I said, hey, any advice? Because he had done a bunch and I was doing my first. And he said, here's your one advice. Somewhere between mile 15 and 20, you're going to go into a dark place. And I said, okay. He goes, I can't tell you what your dark place is going to be, but you're going to go into a dark place. And so you're going to have to get through that. Just know it's coming. I don't know when it's going to hit you, but that's what's going to hit you. And I said, fine, good. So I did the swim, beautiful water, my two and a half mile swim, came out, 112 mile bike, took my time, stopped at every rest area, chatted up with people. It was nice. 112 miles done. Uh, and then I got to the run and I was cooking on the run. And it was great. I think I ran the marathon in like four and a half hours or something. Like I really flew, which was surprising. Fantastic. After doing those two, it was like, it was great. After doing the the swim and the bike. But my first, I think my first half of the marathon, I did in like an hour and a half. So I like I cooked and then, then the dark place hit. And so when I think about the Ironman and what was really good for me, a lot of people talk about the Ironman as being a physical event. It's not, it's a mental event. And because depending on where you are, now they've, they're, Ironman's great. They've got people cheering you on and the support is phenomenal, but you ultimately have to do it. And that's what triathlons and running is about. You have a community around you, but you're ultimately responsible for doing it and going into your head and can you do it? And you just want to quit. And so I guess, I don't remember what mile it was. Maybe it was mile 2021 20, where the dark place, it hits you. And many runners will tell you about how Running helps their depression. No matter what challenges we face, everybody's got challenges. Everybody's got their dark place. Everybody's got this place that they don't like to be in. 
and running or, or physical fitness, whatever it is, whether it's weightlifting, whether it's cycling, whatever it is, a lot of people find this avenue through physical fitness that brings them out of this dark place. And it, it hits you, right? Where you say, I've got six miles left. I don't have it in me. This has been a failure. I shouldn't have done it. What am I doing? Your mind is telling you, your body's killing you. You know, why are you here? And you're not going to finish. How embarrassing. And tell all these people, yada, yada, yada. All this stuff goes into your mind. And it's up to you to say, yes, I can do it. But at that time, right, you're doing something physical. So I'm going to pull that out. You've got a social network around you. You've got other people running. You've got other people doing it. And you could kind of engage them in discussion. You've got your mental, right? Where do you go during these dark places? And how do you do it? I like to do math equations. I like to say, how much is this going to, it's going to take me X amount of time Mm -hmm. to do this. I'm probably going at an eight minute mile now or nine minute mile now. If I probably delay to 11, I've got this much time left. Like I play those types of games. I had just had uh, my daughter and we, she had this favorite book called uh, something about an angry bear in a cave or something. I literally was reading that book in my mind because I had it memorized throughout it. And I was just thinking about my daughter. So we can always find those little things to pull us through the dark places. And then you could kind of see the finish line in the distance. Um, so that's what I remember from from the Ironman. And I guess from any long race is what's just going to get you to the part where you see the finish. Right. We all have the dark places. We all have the mental kind of work that has to be done. But that's a lot of the the difficulty with doing these long endurance type of races. It's the same with business. It's the same with life. We're all going to hit these dark types of places. Mm-hmm. And so we can we can come up with those strategies to to kind of get us out. Yeah, absolutely. Because the reality is it's it's not good all the time. It's not great all the time. Life, business, running, is it? It's these challenges uh, are always going to be there. And I, I think there's almost been a you know some people try and stay in this positive state all the time as in ultra positivity you know everything's great and and it's just not realistic is it in 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 life no don't you hate those people like it's just you're so naive right and it's and look good for them that they could do it and sometimes life is not great and that's a reality but you know i've been watching the matilda movie recently because i've got a daughter and it's like you you do have, i do believe you have the ability to change it some of it may take extreme it's not going to be easy but when we face these difficult times guess what you've got a difficult time with the iron man you're very happy when the iron man's over and when you get through whatever that dark time is you're going to be happy there it's like eating a kale salad nobody likes kale but you feel better after you do it and so a lot of these types of challenges that we face it's dark in the moment but there will be a light at the end of the tunnel and it will be good. And that's, you know, that becomes a lesson. It becomes part of who you are as you evolve and continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, you talked about a change earlier on. You know, I know that's a huge theme in what you do. You mentioned AI and and I think chat GPT being a, a big thing that everybody's talking about at the moment. What's your perspective on technology and how that influences what we bring to to our, our world, to business in, in particular, and running. Uh, how do you think, as as as, as humans, we kind of can utilize that in a positive way? Do you do you speak to that in some of the work that you're doing? Yeah, a lot. It's you know basically what I tell people is every assumption that you have on the way business has been run, throw it out the window, and you're going to have to start from from scratch. Almost ten years ago, I read an article on AI. Basically, this guy wanted to do a blog post, and he went into like this deep rabbit hole. And AI has been said to, this is similar to the rise of human life on earth, the amount of change we're about to go through. And I don't think that's hyperbolic. I think that's, we are looking at such major significant change that's going to completely upend anything that uh, we've typically known. And, And when we think about chaos theory and everything else, it's going to impact so many different areas. 
you know, from a fundamental basic perspective now, chat GPT, I think we're going to see the consumer world inundated with, you know, just a bunch of garbage. People are going to be making all kinds of children's books using AI and writing books using AI, and it's not going to be good. And it's going to be a lot of noise and people are going to turn off their social media because it's going to be just so exhausting because everybody's an expert and AI is an expert on top of an expert and everything else. So I do think we're going to see a lot of societal changes in terms of behavior, consumer behavior, the way that we act, what's important. I think that's going to be pretty significant. When you're running your business, I do, you know, I've, I, I tell people this on the podcast and I, I think people need to internalize this is a lot of the discussions I have with business owners now is take a look at your business and how can you run your business with 25% of your workforce? And they're realizing that they can do that. And so for people who are working for a corporation, working for an industry, start thinking about how do you either get into that top 25% or start positioning yourself to start something new or, or be prepared for that type of change because AI is making a lot of roles irrelevant. And the way the workplace is going to look in the future, I think, is going to be one of two ways. One is they're only going to hire contract workers where basically we need to do this. Let's pick this person for this and this person for this and this person for this fix this you know, project and then you're going to go off to do something else or maybe you're not going to be working at the company anymore. We're going to have this library of skill sets. We're going to find the people that we want to work and that's just how we're going to operate. I think that's going to be a major way that one organization works. The other way is going to be, look, we want no more than 250 people in our organization. These are going to be the best who know how to use things like AI to get things done. These people are going to create work. They're going to create solutions. They're going to do things in very different ways. We're going to make this the greatest place that they want to work. We're going to do major investment in terms of development and everything else so that only the best people want to work there so that they can be picky in terms of who it is that we want to work. So everyone as a passive observer you cannot be a passive observer anymore in terms of the workplace. You can't just say, oh, I'll just do my work. I'm going to check in, check out. Uh, that's not going to work for you within, I would say, less than three years. So being, I'll go punch my card and go in and this is nice. You will be left behind. And so how do we become what I call maybe an active adapter to say, how can I create work? How can I create value? How can I articulate my value to an organization so they know the value that I bring? And this comes in many different ways. It's not just creating output. There is value in terms of something that makes you uniquely human. What is that that, uh, that AI cannot do? And when we think about those types of things of interpersonal relationships and management and leadership, those are the things that we need to get really philosophical about very quickly so that we know how to adapt to this type of AI. When I think about running, it's going to be awesome. Right. We what runners love data and we love all types of data. And, you know, just imagine the AI reading your watch and saying, hey, you're going a little too hard. And why don't we slow it down now? Your heart rate's going to this. And right. You can almost have your coach in, in the bugs in your ears while you're doing your marathon. It'll be amazing. So there's going to be in terms of creating a running plan and everything else. So it's it's a lot of exciting. There's so much utility here, uh, but it's going to fundamentally change what we think is important, what we think of as purpose, what we think of as, you know, everything. It's going to be it's going to be a bumpy road, Jim. If if there are leaders of, of people, managers listening to this, uh, in this world that you're describing, what's the most important skill that they need to have going into into this in into 2023 and beyond? Yeah, I would say three things. You need three skills for a leader today. One is you have to create a vision that people can understand. Right. If you're going to lower your workforce to 25% of what it is, or work with, you know, or just as a manager, they say, look, we're cutting the budget. You're going to get half the people that you typically would have. Everybody needs to have the agency to do what they need to do. 
So you have to be able to articulate this vision as well. So create the vision that they can understand and then communicate that vision in a way that they can understand so that they can then execute on whatever that vision is. And then finally, and this is the ultimate skill, you have to know how to ask really good questions because decision-making is the name of the game. It's not about setting goals. It's about how do you make quick decisions to pivot the organization very quickly. And most people, I love asking this question to clients is, do you know what a, a question is? And most people don't know what the definition of a question is. Uh, the definition of a question is a request for information where you legitimately do not know the answer. And that's why I tell people, you have to shed assumptions. We have to lose the judgment. We have to ask real questions of the people around us to say, you know, what are we objectively looking to accomplish? What have we done before? What does this mean for us today? And use that expertise around us. From a leadership perspective, you're now facilitating. You're facilitating a discussion from the people who bring that expertise so that the organization can move forward and create more. Mm -hmm. oh, makes total sense. Jim, in one of your blogs, I think it was from a couple of years ago, you did a comparison between corporate culture and Ted Lasso, favorite TV show of mine. Can you just like, touch upon that? Yeah. Because I, I do like talking about that show and, and what you learned from that character in the corporate world. So my wife, my wife works in HR. And so I was watching Ted Lasso and I'm like, this is amazing. And I was so excited about it. I said, look, and she didn't see it at first. And then she, when I kind of explained to her, she goes, holy cow, you're right. It's the ultimate metaphor for change management in an organization. It is about treating the employees the way you wish them or the way they wish to be treated. You're looking at the old traditional male-led patriarchal type of organization, vicious, undercutting, you know, the old 1980s way of running a business to new female-led. Ted Lasso's asking good questions. He gives people the space to articulate their hopes, desires, legitimate questions. You know, people think he's joking with a little legitimate questions and then he just waits for them to be ready to answer it. And the value that comes from thinking about what's possible and I do see it, you know, every interaction between his coaching staff to the way the business is run to getting the team on board to or to bring their best self to the organization. All of this is is a statement on the way, you know, everything that people talk about in this philosophical way about the way a business is supposed to be run and the way businesses are supposed to change. Watch Ted Lasso. And that's, you know, granted, it's not real, but that's, you know, that's the organization that people wish to work in. And so how do you can take how do you take some of those behaviors and bring them into the workplace? I loved it. I it's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, great great show, really well put together, really well well written and and worth watching. It's it's very funny, but also the as you say there there's there's lots of takeaways and lots of parallels. Jim, j just before we wrap up, targets for the year for you. And I, I know, you know, you're a believer in in having things to aim for. What what personally is driving you? What what are your targets for for the coming year and beyond? Well, from a running perspective, I always want to do a thousand miles. So that is always a good one. And then I want to beat my times on my half marathons and half Ironman. So that's, you know, those are my personal goals. But I got big dreams, big dreams and hopes that I'm looking to build from a coaching perspective is I, I you know, people need a guru to help them manage this change, but they need someone that they could trust. And so everybody wants to be an expert. Everybody wants to tell you what you're supposed to do. But you know, when we take what you're supposed to do or what you should do, I think those words should be just removed from the language because nobody should be telling you what you should do. So I, I, I hope to build a program that people can know that they can trust, that they will come out at the other end, whatever that roller coaster is going to be, they're gonna come running off that roller coaster saying, I'm ready for the next one. 
that's what I'm looking to build this year. Mm-hmm. I, and we'll obviously put in the show notes and in the links all the details of the Bellwether Hub. But just tell us about the different services, different things that that, that you're doing across the coaching and the, the the workshops and that kind of stuff. Sure. So uh, I, I put it into three categories plus speaking. One is executive coaching, one-on-one coaching. I typically get clients who want to get into the C-suite. I get them ready to think about the different ways to think about C-suite level thinking versus managerial thinking. And it's a, it's a very different type of way to, to operate. So that's one. Two is business coaching or team coaching is how do we readjust your business, get you up to the next level? How do you, you know, how do you operate in 2023, 2024 and beyond? What's your five-year plan? How is that adjustable? And we do that. And then the workshops are a range of things, everything from how to communicate to the C-suite to how to make really good decisions to different types of managerial and leadership and, and productivity types of, of workshops to get your people to accomplish more and articulate their value. So those are our, our big three categories. Okay. And we'll make sure all those, uh, if people want to get in touch, all the details will be in the in the show notes to the podcast. We finish with uh, similar questions. So the, the, the first of the last three questions, running aside, can you name a business tool, an app, maybe an individual, something that you couldn't do without from a business perspective? Oh boy. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with, uh, I use ClickUp as an app that I use. Um, it's my project management software. I use it for my sales funnel. I use it for my everything. And it's just kind of this one centralized location that I kind of use to, to help keep me organized. Similar to Trello or one of those other ones. It's a little less known, I think, but ClickUp's pretty good. Okay. And business aside, what's your favorite bit of running kit or a, a running accessory that you can't do without? All of my running is, uh, it has to be on Brooks Ghost Shoes. I've got my Garmin watch, uh, which has music on it, and then my my wireless buds. That's it. That's all I go running with. Okay. We, I will pick up on the music thing you mentioned there, because a question that sometimes comes up is around music and what you listen to. If you could have a piece of music playing at the start of a big event for you that, that just made you feel so big and gave you the energy, what, what would that piece of music be? It would either be... Um, a Stevie Wonder song, oh yeah, or a Gorilla song, right? Those would be one of the two, right? Where they just kind of put you into a good spot. Okay, what, 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 let's let's dig into Stevie Wonder. What something uh, like Superstition or something uh, a, a bit a bit high tempo or what sort of vibe? It would have to be high tempo. Yeah, um, Superstition is a good one. Sir Duke is a good one. Oh, it would be yeah. one of those, right? Like you can't you can't not want to move when oh. you listen to Stevie Wonder. So Duke, uh, anybody listening to this, next time you go running, stick that on. Yeah, guarantee it will just get you going. Fantastic song. Jim, final question. Uh, what advice would you give to anybody in business or a leadership role considering getting more active and specifically taking up running? Can you summarize it for me? Yeah, there's three steps. One is you have to pick something you want to do, whatever it is. I mean, we're supposed to be fit. Every, we're supposed to do something physically active every day. So number one, pick something that you want to do. Number two, don't skip this. You have to learn how to do it properly. And that includes running as well. I didn't know how to run. I thought I knew how to run. I did not know how to run. So research, learn how to run, learn how to swim, learn how to cycle, whatever it is. Learn how to do it properly. So pick what you want to do, learn how to do it, and then you can learn to love it so you can do it every day. Those are the three steps. Jim, I've learned so much. So thank you for giving up your time. Thanks for being part of Run the Business. An exciting year, it sounds like, coming up for you. And, and we'll make sure if anybody uh, wants to follow up and get in touch, all the links will be uh, in the show notes to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. 
Thanks to Jim Frawley for bringing it on Run the Business this week. That is one of those conversations I think I'm going to need to go back over to truly appreciate Jim's insight. So many nuggets in there for both running and business. Where to start? Well, I loved Jim's curiosity around what's possible. What a great question to always be asking. Uh, What's possible? Uh, he's almost at a stage where it feels like it's not even a question that he has to be asked. It's it's a mindset. It's it's almost childlike in the way it comes through, but uh, it's so powerful. What's possible? I'll pick out one specific takeaway, and this is a kind of work in progress for me, but I've always grouped the benefits of running into three areas. The first, mental. The second, physical. And the third, stories, lessons, analogies. Need to come up with a, a better way of describing that. A bit snappier, but I think you get what I'm meaning. The the, the sort of the, the takeaways of, of running and its relationship with business. It was interesting to see how Jim grouped his concept of being ready for change into three areas. He did mention 3.5. Financial was the other bit, but the three main ones that he flagged were physical, mental, and social. Social is an interesting one. That kind of fits in, I think, with the human side of running and people and obviously business as well. When when runners come together, they, they do it with a, a shared belief. There's a, there's a sort of a running social system. Uh, and that idea of uh, Jim talked about micro interactions to remind us that we're part of a bigger world, making sure that the social side of our lives is uh, is something that is being addressed and fulfilled. Think about those three areas, physical, mental, social. Which one of those are you focusing on at the moment? What decisions do you need to make today that might strengthen one of those areas in your life? A really interesting thing to consider. Jim's favourite quote from Rousseau to finish, how can anyone be satisfied in life if they're not satisfied with the one person they can't be separated from? Run the Business is a real two media production. If you're not already doing so, please follow the podcast, download, comment, and share. It really does help grow the show. I'm Anthony Gay, and until next time, happy running and keep chasing your goals. Mm-hmm.